Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Well, today we conclude our series on the Apostles' Creed. And as I mentioned last week, the Apostles' Creed is a summary of the Apostles' teachings, and it contains essential doctrines that summarize the gospel and Christianity. The beliefs stated in this creed lead us to form sound theology knowing that our faith is based on the teachings and the life of Jesus himself. And today we are concluding a seven-week series. Last week was Resurrection Sunday, so as you might expect in the flow of events, today's topics are about Jesus having ascended to the Father, the second coming, and the judgment. Now that's a lot to cover in one session so we should get out in about three hours. <laughs> now, nah, we'll get you out in time for lunch. Let's pray. And while you close your eyes and bow your heads, as we prepare our hearts to pray, I just want to invite you to picture God. Just imagine him in all of his glory and all of his splendor and power and majesty in unapproachable light. And I say all of that just to remind us who we're talking to. Father, we are here to honor you today, to worship you, to learn from you. And Father, we invite you to speak to us, speak to us here today, We ask you to reveal yourself and to reveal your ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostles' Creed, this series, is an important reminder, a very important reminder about the essentials of faith. And to be clear, the essentials of the faith are, are those things that determine your eternal destiny. Only those things that determine your eternal destiny, and there are two. The first is knowing Jesus and the Father. That comes from John 17, 3. It was a quote that Jesus made. He said, This is eternal life, that you may know him, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he sent. The second is the method of salvation. Do you trust in your own efforts, or do you trust in him and what he did for you? And to be specific, did you receive him for the forgiveness of your sins? You know, when we appear before God, he's not going to ask you, what church did you go to? Life in the sun? Oh, yeah, you're good. That's not going to be the question. (laughs) The question is going to be, how did you respond to me, and who did you trust? The Apostles' Creed is a summary of what's important. So allow me to read it to you one last time. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, 
the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And today, I want to bring our attention to a certain section in the Apostles' Creed, which is here. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. And as we said before, the Apostles' Creed is not Scripture itself, but rather it is a summary of the essentials that are found in Scripture. And so let's go back to Scripture to see what exactly does it say about these statements. Where are they in the Bible? And for that, we're going to go to Acts chapter 1, as I mentioned earlier, beginning in verse 9. And when he had said these things, they're talking about Jesus, had been talking to his disciples. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Now, most of us already know this story. But I think the question that we need to ask is, how does this relate to me today? What difference does it make for me here in the 21st century? Well, you might be surprised. Point number one today is that Jesus ascended to heaven. We read in verse 9, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, I invite you to, to do a little exercise that I often do when I'm reading scripture, and that is to kind of insert myself into the story and just try to be there and using the five senses of sight and smell and touch and feel and, and ask yourself, what was it like in that moment? And if you could put yourself in the shoes of the disciples standing there watching him go up. And then all of a sudden, there's these probably two angels dressed in white robes saying, why are you standing here looking up? This same Jesus that you saw go up is going to come down in the same way. And they're all just baffled. Nobody expected this. And what are they thinking? And I have a feeling one thought was, where did he go? Where, where is he? Hebrews 1.3 tells us, The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. And here it is. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. Now I suspect that some of you already knew the answer to where he went. Jesus ascended to the Father. He returned to the throne from which he came. But what on earth does that have to do with me today? I want to take you a step further in this. And what I'm about to highlight, perhaps you've never thought of before. Jesus having ascended and being seated at the Father's right hand has everything to do with who you are if you have received Christ. It has everything to do with your identity. It has everything to do with your identity. Did you know that when Jesus ascended to the Father, did you know that he took you with him? 
He took you with him. Not geographically, not like you are physically present there. You ever enter one of those raffle prizes where you fill out the slip and you put it in there and no need to be present to win? (laughs) Okay, well, this is one of those, you win the grand prize, no need to be present to win, but you win the grand prize. Billions of people know about the resurrection of Christ. Not all Christians understand how this affects their position in life. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, and he gave them dominion over the earth and the mission to fill it and to take care of it. Adam and Eve lost their position, but Jesus took it back. How many of you have seen the movie called The Great Raid? Raise your hand. It was a long time ago. It's an old movie back in 2005. It's interesting, at the time my wife and I saw it, we had just come from the Philippines, which is where the movie takes place. We were visiting Terry's dad, and by the way, welcome to Terry's brother and his wife. (laughs) We went to go see them a couple times when they were out there. And we went on a tour, we went to Subic, and we went through Bataan. And if you're familiar with that part of the country, you know that uh, it has some very significant military history. Most people know the story of the Death March. What, what is not so well known is that the Death March was leading people to a concentration camp. And there were over 500 American prisoners during Japanese occupation during World War II. And there was a group of elite army rangers that were trained specifically for a rescue mission in Bataan. And they went in by stealth They had to travel through over 400 yards of open field, exposed to the enemy. In the middle of the night, they crawled with all their weapons and ammunition silently, getting up to the camp. Then they raided it before daybreak. They freed all the prisoners, and they brought them all back home. And that's where the movie ends. It's, it's, It's the greatest rescue mission in military history. Over 500 prisoners were brought back home. But what's more important that I want to highlight is the after story. Just imagine back in those days, World War II, flying by plane was not common. Most of them took a ship back home. It probably took, I don't know, how many months to get all the way back to the West Coast, maybe stopped in Hawaii along the way, eventually got to the West Coast, had to make their way through the continental U.S. to get back to wherever home was. And then they got reunited with their family. They got to a place of rest, a place of peace, a place that was home, a place that they belong, and reunited with their loved ones. And that's a picture of the end result of what that rescue mission was all about. And I share that with you as a picture of what God has for each one of us when he came to restore what Adam lost, and he took it back. He took us with him. It says, when he ascended, he took a host of captives with him. It says that in several places in the Bible. You know what a captive is? Have you ever contrasted it with a prisoner? Prisoners are people who are in jail because they did something wrong. A captive is somebody, they didn't do anything wrong. They just happened to be a victim of life and circumstances. And because of that, they were tempted to put themselves in prisons of bitterness and anger and depression And Jesus came to set the captives free and pull them out of there and take them home to a place of abundance and freedom and peace and protection and provision. And that's a picture 
of where God is leading you. That's what he wants for you. And it starts in this life. It's not just when you die and go to heaven and then it happens. All of those characteristics I described can begin in this life and progress from here. The part about being eternal life is just that it never ends. It gets to a place of, protection, of perfection. Adam and Eve, they lost their position. But Jesus took it back. And because you're united with Christ, he includes you in this restoration and he, he includes you in this position of favor and godly authority that Adam had lost. You're in a journey where God is revealing your restored identity and your restored position in life. And because you're united with Christ, you have access to God and resources to accomplish the assignments that he has for you. Ephesians 2.6 says, He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. If you could just close your eyes for a moment, I want you to kind of envision what this passage is saying. It says, He raised us up from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him. Earlier I asked you to imagine God in all of his glory, his splendor, his power, and his majesty. And in that place of his presence, there is a throne. And Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And it's as if he's standing there and there's a space for you. And just imagine a regal, a royal, a very rich atmosphere. And it's, if, and it's as if he's been waiting and says, sit here, my son or my daughter. I've been waiting for you to join me. That's your place in life. A position of favor, a position of acceptance, a place of godly authority. That's what God has redeemed and restored for each and every one of you. And this is available. It's available to you because Jesus ascended to his throne and he took you with him. As again, like I said earlier, not in terms of your geographic location, but he took you with him in terms of your relationship with the Father, your access to the Father, your privilege, your authority, your identity. He took you with him to restore it all. All of this is restored because he ascended to the Father and you are united with Christ. We need to meditate on that and let it change us. Just meditate on your new identity in Christ. That's point number one. Jesus ascended and he brought you with him and he has changed your status in life. You now have favor and you have a new identity and you have a new destiny. Point number two, Jesus is coming back. Acts 1.11, this Jesus who has taken who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go. He's coming back. Also in Revelation twenty-two twelve, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. The second coming of Jesus is the hope of believers that God is in control of all things. And he is faithful to the promises and the prophecies of his word. And he is coming... At his first coming, Jesus Christ came to earth as a baby in a manger in Bethlehem. 
just as was prophesied. Jesus fulfilled many of the prophecies of the Messiah during his birth, life, during his ministry, during his death, during his resurrection. But there are some prophecies that Jesus has yet to fulfill. And just as surely as many of those prophecies were fulfilled in his first coming, you can bank on it. He's going to fulfill the other prophecies in his second coming. Jesus will be the conquering king. He arrived in his first visit in the most humble of circumstances, but in the second visit, he will come as the Lord of heaven's armies. Just as surely as he fulfilled the earlier prophecies, it can happen. It's going to happen. You can bank on it. Point number three, Jesus is the judge on judgment day. 2 Timothy 4.1, the apostle Paul wrote, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Another place this is found in scripture is 2 Corinthians 5. Paul also said, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, there's a kind of tension in these passages. Jesus came and went. He's coming back, and he's coming back as judge. And the question is, am I ready? Will I be ready when he comes back to stand before him? I'll share with you a true story. A guy I met, he was telling me his personal experience with God and how he came into a relationship with God. He said uh, he was very lost. He was an alcoholic. He would get so drunk. He was married at the time and uh, very stressful on his wife. There'd be fights. You can imagine the whole party scene, what it's like. He said one day he and his wife were leaving. He was just so drunk, stumbling. And he said all of a sudden he just blacked out, completely blacked out. Didn't know what happened after that. And then the next thing he knows, he sees this bright light and he pictures Jesus standing there with his arms wide open, just welcoming him. And he said in that moment, he had so much shame and a sense of guilt. He said, I didn't feel like I was ready. I wanted to go back. I wanted to confess all of my sins because I wasn't ready to meet him yet. And then in the next moment, he woke up in his wife's arms and they're just there in the street and she's holding him like this. He was completely limp. And she said, honey, you just completely blacked out. And then he began to tell her his story about what happened and however much time passed by in those moments. But as a result of that experience, he decided to turn toward God and began to get to know him, to learn about him, to study the Bible, to go to church, to fellowship with other Christians, to develop his relationship with God. And I tell you, there's a, there's a verse that says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And God was expressing his unconditional love to this young man. And when he came back, he, he was in a different direction. And he quit his drinking and the reason he was talking to me is he was trying to learn how to be a better dad. He grew up without a dad. He was probably numbing the pain with all the alcohol. And now he was a dad. And there were so many blanks in his picture of fatherhood. He didn't, couldn't put it all together and figure it out. So he wanted to talk. But in the process of talking about 
how to be a dad, we got to his testimony. And I was just amazed at God's grace. You know, here is somebody, they were just losing it and making a mess of their life, and yet the Lord was still loving and accepting and now putting him back together. You know, judgment can sound like a scary thing, but I want to say uh, a couple things. Uh, number one, because of the cross and because of God's forgiveness and because of his grace, we can reconcile with God before we meet him. And we can get things right so we don't have to be afraid of standing in his presence knowing that he's forgiven us. If we're honest with ourselves and we come before him honestly. On that note, it's important to say there are two kinds of judgment at the end. One of the judgments is going to separate the believers from the unbelievers. Some will go to the right, some will go to the left. He'll separate the, ge- the goats from the sheep, the wheat from the tares. That's the first judgment. The second judgment is for believers only. For believers only. And they will appear before God, and two things will be judged. The quality of your work and the motivation. And depending on whether or not those things pass through the test of the fire, you will either have reward or you will have loss of reward. It's not a punishment. It's just either you get a reward or you don't get a reward, depending on whether or not you did your best for God and you did it out of a heart of love for people and for the Lord. So having said that, I want to take the dread out of judgment because Jesus already took the punishment for you. And if you accept that, you can enter into his grace and you don't have to fear but we will stand accountable for the things we said and did, the quality of, our work, quality of our work and the motivation of our heart. And having said that, I want to share with you a story that I think summarizes everything that we've been talking about here today. And maybe you've never thought of this story this way, but it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I'd like to read it to you and then come back and invite you to consider another meaning of what is commonly known. This is found in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 30. Jesus told a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him, lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. And then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn, where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, usually this story, this story is told to highlight who is your neighbor. That was the context of the conversation when Jesus told the story. People were asking him, you know, love your neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor? And so then Jesus tells this story. And then he asked them, so who was the good neighbor? But I'd like to present to you another meaning maybe you hadn't heard before. Now keep in mind the big picture of human history. 
And in the Bible, it says, to the Lord, a thousand days is as a year, and a year is as a thousand days. The good Samaritan was there the first day, and he gave the innkeeper enough for two more days. In other translations, instead of two silver coins, it says he gave the innkeeper two denarii. A denarii is considered one day's wage. So he gave the innkeeper two days' wage, gave him enough money to take care of this guy for two days. He said, if it costs you more than that, next time I'm here, I'll pay you back. Now consider this story in a different light. Consider, in, in the big picture, in the grand scheme of human history, consider this story as a picture of Christ and people and the church and Satan and Jesus' return. And in light of this, listen to the story again. A man was attacked by robbers and left for dead on the side of the road. Religious people walked by and they didn't help. A Samaritan showed up, bandaged his wounds, put him on a donkey, and took him to an inn. The next day, he gave the innkeeper two denarii, two days' wage. I want to ask you a couple questions. Who is the robber? My wife gets an A+. <laughs> she said Satan. So, there is, a Bible, there is a verse, John 10.10. 10. It says, The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. It's referring to the enemy of our souls. So there is a robber, and he hurts people. They're left on the side of the road. There is a good man who comes along to help them. Who's that? It's Jesus. And he takes him to an inn. An inn is a place for them to find healing. Where is that? That's the church. God has provided, and he says, if it costs you anything more, when I come back, I will pay you. You know, church, it's been about 2,000 years since Jesus was here. The good Samaritan was in the inn the first day, and then he left, and he left him two days' wage. If a day is as 1,000 years, we're getting into the third day. Jesus will come back at some point. I'm not trying to predict that. We don't want to get distracted with details. But he will come back. There's a world out there that's hurting. And he finds them. And he brings them to the inn. And he says to the innkeepers, I want you to take care of them. And if it costs you anything more, I will pay you back when I get here. Church, there's people out there that God is bringing to himself and he's bringing them in and he invites us to take care of them. And as we do, just know that on the day of judgment when he comes back, he will reward you and he will pay you for what you have given to the people that he's given you to take care of, the people that he's given you to shepherd. Amen? Let's pray.